Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get to gather today, we are keenly aware of war. Keenly aware that the people of Ukraine do not live in the freedom that we live in today. So we're coming to the one that we can trust in. We're coming to the one who sent his son to be the other in the fire. And we're asking, Lord, that you intercede in the fire of war in Ukraine, that you stop this war at all cost. We ask, Lord, that you protect your people, you protect our brothers and sisters who have taken up arms in their homes, who are in the streets, fighting for their lives, fighting for their homes, fighting for their freedom. Father, we give you the Ukrainian people that we are blown away by their bravery and how they have fought, how they have led. We ask, Lord, that you move in the hearts of our leaders here to do what they can do. And we ask, Lord, that you transform the heart of the Russian leader, that, that you, you move mightily now to take him from one who is after evil and transform him into one who worships you. Bring peace, Lord, in the only way that you can. You're the only one that can bring peace. We give that to you. And as we open up your word today, Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that we're going to get to witness something spectacular today in your word. Give me strength to preach your word faithfully so that the words I speak are from you and that we will encounter Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So a, a rather heavy prayer as we transition into God's word, but I want to encourage you as we begin that this is a wildly exciting passage of scripture. So it's going to be really tough for me to wipe the smile off my face at times. And my encouragement is that you hear why this scripture is so exciting. So we are going to close out the chapter in John, chapter 9. It's 41 verses of one incredible story of Jesus physically healing this blind man who was blind from birth, and Jesus heals him. But it's important to always remember, anytime Jesus performs a physical miracle, he is after something so much bigger. He, he will perform the physical miracle, but he's after an inward transformation. 
And that's what we're gonna see today. So let's begin, let's watch. Here we go, verse 35 through 41. I'll start out with verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? So let's put this into a little context here. Imagine this guy, imagine this man, this guy who was born blind, he was marginalized not only for his blindness, but also because he was a beggar. Jesus comes to him and mixes up a little dirt with some spit, puts it on the guy's eyes and says, hey, trust me, I want you to walk down to the pool of Siloam. When you get there, wash the mud off, see what happens. He washes the mud off, he can see. It's a miracle, he, he can see. Well, nobody's as excited as he is about this, as we, sur- as we saw in the first 34 verses. Nobody's jumping around for joy. Uh, his neighbors uh, do an unneighborly thing and turn him into the religious leaders because all of this happened on the Sabbath. The religious leaders then go talk to the guy's parents and they pretty much give him the Heisman and... and and say, hey, we don't, we don't want to get involved here because we don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. And then eventually, the guy can't even explain how his sight uh, came to be other than this man named Jesus did it. And they cast him out of the synagogue. So imagine this guy. He, he was in his lowest place, blind, a beggar. He has this miracle happen, and now he's back to this lowest place, thrown out, and I don't know if you've ever been thrown out of a place, or, or maybe not even let into a place. It, it's a pretty low feeling, but here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus, and he meets this man in his lowest place, and aren't you glad he does that? Aren't you glad that he meets us in our lowest place? Think about your lowest point. He comes, and he meets us there because that's who he is. And it says that he not, only, he not only heard that the man had been cast out, but then he went and he found him. He found him. Jesus is in that business of finding people, finding people in their lowest place. It says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's what he does. And that's what he did for this man. And then... Then he asks him this incredible question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? This is really important in verse 35. Why did Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man? Because Jesus is mentioned all through Scripture as the Christ, the Messiah, Son of God, Prince of Peace, Lord of Lords. Here, he refers to himself, and many other times, his preferred reference to himself is the Son of Man. Well, he does that for a reason. See, the Son of Man goes back to a messianic reference, a messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. And Jesus knows this blind beggar who can now see probably would know the term son of man, referring to the coming Messiah. So in Daniel chapter something, <laughs> in, in, in Daniel, Daniel, it, make one up. Uh, no, 
In Daniel, Daniel has a dream. He dreams that there would be a Messiah, that there would be a, a heavenly exalted one that was coming and he would be the son of man. And Jesus is banking on this man knowing that reference. Why? Why is this so important that Jesus used the term son of man, this title son of man? See, he didn't want this man. He did not want the man who was cured from blindness to just know Jesus as the one who cured him from blindness. He wants to make sure that Jesus knows who he is, that he is the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament, that he is the one that everybody was waiting for, and he's standing right in front of him. And this is really important because as, as we've talked about you know, before, it, it's not about what Jesus can do, it's about who he is, and he wants this man to see him for who he is and not what he can do, and he wants us to understand that too. And this is a point up on the screen as we get started here. Jesus wants us to see him for who he is and not for what he can do. Even, even in the face of not being healed, even in the face of not getting what we want, and he wants this guy to see, hey, it's not all about your physical healing. I am after so much more. He wants a relationship with this man. And to be in relationship, you have to spend time. To be in relationship, there's got to be some, some back and forth. To be in relationship with Jesus is what he is after. Now, I have a, I have a friend, and uh, he is an expert in his field. And I will call him on occasion to ask him about his expertise in something that I need to know. And he said to me a couple of months ago, and I loved him for this, and I want you to hear that I was convicted by what he said, because it was a little bit of an ouchie. He said, you know something, David? Um, you, could, uh, you could actually call me once in a while just to see how I'm doing. I heard the groan. Yeah, there's an ouchie. Maybe you have a friend who comes to you only when they want something. So imagine if we only come to Jesus when we want something. Imagine what Jesus is thinking. He's like, ah, oh, I, I wanna know you. I wanna spend time with you. I, I died a horrific death on a cross for you. I, I came to earth to live fully man, fully God, to live the life that you couldn't live, which is a sinless life, to take on your sin, to forgive you of your sin on the cross, to shed my blood for the forgiveness of your sin, and to take the penalty that we all deserve for our sin. That's what Jesus did. And then three days later, after he died, after he was buried, after he was in his lowest place, remember, Jesus from the highest place came to the lowest place to meet us in our lowest places, and then he was raised from the dead. And we're only going to him like a vending machine. We're only going to him sometimes like we're standing in front of this big glass machine and we're looking at a bag of Funyuns and we press A6 and there it comes. 
How do you think Jesus feels when, when we come to him like that? That's why he came back at the end of this story. That's why he came back in verse 35. He wanted to make sure that this man knew that Jesus just didn't do something great. He wanted to make sure that this man knew Jesus is someone great. Amen? Verse 36. So he, the man, answered. He answered the question, do you know the son of man? He says, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? You see, he's still not at the point where he is seeing Jesus as God. He refers to Jesus in this small s, sir, which is a term of respect. So he's respecting Jesus as the one who healed him from his blindness, like, yes, sir, I, I am here. I am standing right in front. Thank you, sir. Thank you for uh, healing me. I was blind. Now I can see. You're awesome. Thank you. That's, that's where he is right now. And check it out. Some of us came to Jesus the same way. Some of us came to Jesus because he did something. And that's great. That's awesome. He can do the miraculous. He can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or think. But we have to get to the point where we move from, oh, that was great, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, sir, to fully worshiping him, to fully submitting our lives to him, not because of what he can do, but because of who he is. Because it's really easy to not see him as worthy of our worship. And he is worthy of our worship, worthy of our obedience. We don't want to just think of Jesus as a good guy or Jesus as a good teacher. He said some good things because that's easy to do too. It's easy to think those things and go, but hey, I'm not going to follow you. I mean, because I mean, you said some things about Money, I don't like. Uh, you said some things about sex, I, I definitely don't like. Uh, you said some things about loving your enemy that I am not on board with. So count me out. It's easy to do that, but we have to see Jesus as not just useful. We have to see him as king. We have to see him as King Jesus. So back to the story. The guy says... Who is he that I may believe in him? And now Jesus responds, and you gotta love this because it's just so matter of fact. Jesus says to him in verse 37, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. So imagine this guy standing here, Jesus is standing here looking at him. Oh, you've heard of the Son of Man. And it's me. It, it, it turns out that the son of man, the one you've been waiting for, the one that everybody in the Old Testament has been waiting for, the one that has been prophesied, it's me. I'm him. That's what Jesus is saying right there. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off in this guy's head. The curtains open, the shades go up, the sunshine comes in, and he says this. The guy says in verse 38, Lord, I believe, Lord, I believe. 
And then the very next part of that verse, it says, and he worshiped him. And he worshiped him. He says, I believe, and he worshiped him. This is important, so we're gonna say this out loud. Say, I believe, and he worshiped him. It was an immediate response. And that, that word believe, remember, is pistuo, to believe in, to trust in. Not just that Jesus existed, but that he is the Son of Man, that he is God. So this man goes from this, this small s, sir, to this capital L, Lord. He goes from this respect to this reverence, and he can now see two ways. He can see because Jesus healed him from his physical blindness, and now he can see because Jesus has healed him from his spiritual blindness, and the angels sing. They're rejoicing in heaven. They're probably high-winging each other. I would imagine that's what they do. <laughs> Don't let that be the only thing you take out of here. <laughs> but what we just witnessed was somebody getting saved. How many times do we get to actually witness somebody getting saved? And, and this is alive. The, the God, God's word is alive. So we get to look at it, we get to read it, and we get to witness exactly what happened. Jesus just transformed this guy's life. Jesus just took him from death to life, from spiritually blind to spiritually seeing. And what does this man do next? He worshiped him. It's astonishing because his immediate response, he didn't have all the answers. He didn't have everything about God in his head. He, he just worshiped him. And that's the title of today's message, and he worshiped. So let's look at that word worship. Uh, that is a Greek word, and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this is just because it's going to refer to another word exactly the same. So the Greek word is proskuneo, and it is to fully engage with who God is. It actually means the act of bowing down in reverence as an act of allegiance. And it's the exact same word that we see in Matthew chapter 14. Now, now you know this story. The disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee. Gets a little rough. The wind picks up. Jesus comes walking across the water. Peter gets out of the boat. Peter's on the water. Peter gets a little scared because it gets a little more windy. Jesus brings them back into the boat, and they get back into the boat. And what do the disciples do immediately? They worshiped him. Proskuneo. Same, same word, only used in the New Testament when it refers to the divine. R.C. Sproul defined worship as this. The very heart of worship is the business of expressing the highest possible honor that we can offer before God. Not, not just some honor, not just a lot of honor, but the highest possible honor that we can offer before God. So, so here's a point, and, and I want you to think about this when you're, when you're hearing this point of maybe your point of conversion, and maybe your life since conversion, and I want to encourage you that this is worship. When we fall in faith 
at the feet of Jesus, we follow in faith with worship. When we fall in faith at the feet of Jesus, we, you can insert get to. We get to follow in faith with worship because he is worthy. And when you go from blind to seeing, there really is no other choice. There's no other response. When you know that you are blind, there's no other response than to worship. So I think collectively we can encourage each other. Do we love Jesus? Do we worship Jesus? Do we esteem Jesus in the highest honor? Do we, do we find him precious? Do we hold him above everything? Do we prize Jesus? Do, do we hold him in preeminence? As Colossians says, he is the preeminent one. And how many, how many things can be preeminent? Just one, that's right, just one. So, so do we worship him that way or are there other things vying for our affection? So you can look at it this way. Is our affection with Jesus or is our affection with so many other things that it clouds out our affection to Jesus? And if Jesus is preeminent in our lives, check this out. If Jesus is first, if Jesus is prized, if Jesus is on our lips, if people know that we are followers of Jesus Christ and we worship him because we once believed in him, guess what the byproduct is? It overflows, so we get to overflow everywhere we go, to our schools, to our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, and we get to show how much we love Jesus because it overflows into how we love people, how we serve people, how we forgive people. Imagine, imagine a church this size, overflowing into Cherokee County, overflowing into Pickens County. Hi, Jasper. Overflowing to every person within the vicinity of those who are gathered online. That's worship. One of my favorite books that, um, that I read after Jesus Transformed My Life, which is about 15 years ago, uh, was a book by a man named Thomas Watson. And... Uh, not the golfer, uh, Thomas Watson, the Puritan from the 1600s. So he wrote a book called A Godly Man's Picture. Highly recommend it. Uh, it's tough to find. There's, a, there's actually a PDF online. You can actually just scroll down and read it. In that book is a chapter called A Godly Man Prizes Christ. A Godly Man Esteems Christ as Higher Than Anything. And we've got a great example of that in the New Testament. His name is Paul. And Paul, before he was Paul, before he authored much of the New Testament, before he was a prizer of Christ, was a hater of Christ. Paul was in the business of killing Christians. And then he had this incredible encounter on the Damascus Road. Who did he have an encounter with? He had an encounter with Jesus, who was standing right in front of him. He was blinded. Then he could see. And then he went about the Father's business. And he said in, in 1 Corinthians, for I decided to know nothing, nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. That is a very singular focus. He said in Philippians that he counts everything as loss 
Everything in his life, he says, everything in my life is garbage. That's, that's the word he uses, rubbish. Everything in my, life, in my life is rubbish compared to gaining Christ. He counted everything as loss. He held Jesus higher than everything else. And we get to do that. We get to, we get to hold Jesus higher than anything else. We get to esteem him higher. We get to go to great lengths to get him. We get to give everything to him. We get to tell people about him. We, we get to take great pleasure in him when we're telling people about him. We get, to, we get the opportunity to show others how to get him. He's gonna do the saving, but we can introduce Jesus to people. And if we're not, let's look at the flip side here. If we're not esteeming him, if we're not going after him, if we're not giving everything to him, if we're not prizing him, if we're not getting others to come to him, why would they want to? If they don't see a smile on our faces about Jesus, that doesn't mean some fake Christian smile, but if, if people don't see us as, precious, as prizing Jesus as precious, why would they want him? Because when you know you are blind, there's no other response than worship. And, and look, I, I get it. Sometimes worship is going to look a little silly. Sometimes God is going to ask us, as we've heard, to, to have some mud on our eyes and walk with that mud. And some of the things are going to look ridiculous to the rest of the world. It, it's gonna look ridiculous when you go up to a friend that you haven't seen since you trusted in Jesus and say, hey, I know what we used to do together, but you're not gonna believe this. It's gonna look ridiculous. It's gonna look ridiculous to your family. I had, I had to have that conversation with my family many times. It's gonna look ridiculous to be here on a Sunday, rain or shine. It's gonna look ridiculous to the world. And I get that because prior to my conversion, Sundays were for golf. And I, I remember making fun of Christians as they were walking to church as I was walking to the golf course. But God says he's got something better for us. He says, don't neglect gathering together as is the habit of some. So what we're doing right now, that's, that's God's best for us, to be in community with each other. It's gonna look ridiculous to walk with the mud. It's gonna look ridiculous to, to humble ourselves and to consider others more significant than ourselves. Because that's not what the world says. What does the world say? The world says every man for himself. God says, I've got one man for you, and he gave up everything to come serve you. So our response is we get to serve. We get to consider others more significant than ourselves. We get to walk in that mud that may look ridiculous to the world, but brings glory. It brings glory to God. It, it, it looks ridiculous to tithe, yeah, you, you want me to do what? <laughs> you want me to give my, 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 my money? Took me a little bit to get it. It's all his. It's all his, and, and he's got a better plan for his money than I have for his money. 
He says, test me, see what I can do. It's gonna look ridiculous to humble yourself. It's gonna look ridiculous to deny your flesh and not have sex with anybody you want. It's gonna look ridiculous to not have sex before marriage. It's gonna, it's gonna look ridiculous not to live together. The, world, the world's totally okay with that, but guess what? They're catching on. <laughs> the Wall Street Journal two weeks ago had an article and it said that people in their 20s, if they don't live together, have a 155% chance of staying married after they get married. <laughs> the world sees that. They even get it. But it's gonna look ridiculous to a lot. God says, I've got something better if you abide in me. Do it my way, <laughs> just wait. Wait and see what I got. He says, I'll give grace to the humble, but I will oppose the proud. There's some verses in Proverbs uh, chapter three, uh, verses five and six. Everybody loves these verses. These are definitely bumper sticker worthy verses. I love these verses. They have had an impact on me. So I, I just wanna share these verses. Um, but then I also wanna share the next verse after that. So I'm gonna read them. You can finish my sentences if you'd like. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You guys are great. Uh, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That's good and true. But nobody puts verse seven on a bumper sticker. Verse seven is, do not be wise in your own eyes. How many of us have been wise in our own eyes? Me, most of the time. And 100% of the time, it goes wrong 75% of the time. <laughs> it, there, there's, a, there's a verse that says, uh, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. Somebody told me early on in my walk with Jesus, anytime you have a thought in your head, well, you know, it seems right to me, uh, stop <laughs> and put that thought out of your head and go see what God's word says. So all of the things that I described, that's God saying, hey, this may seem ridiculous, but I want you to walk with some mud on your eyes. Trust me. So are we willing to walk with some mud and obey God? Because if we're not willing to walk with the mud, we are being wise in our own eyes. So let's continue. Uh, let's continue because this is vintage Jesus, uh, verses 39 to 41. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? That's how he said it. That's how they would have said it. I'll get, I'll get more into that. Uh, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, which is uh, simply sin. Uh, you can interchange those two things. And sin is just the violation of God's law. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt or sin remains. So let's start with verse 39. For judgment, 
I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. So what Jesus is saying here in this play on words as Jesus is apt to do, he's saying, look, I came to open up the eyes of the blind. That's what I came to do. If you admit you can't see, I'm coming to give you sight. But if you claim to see, I'm gonna show you you're still blind. You're actually blind. And, and we, we studied this in Romans, in our Romans series a couple of years ago, way back in 2020. God owes everyone justice. Everyone. And he's not unjust to give some mercy and some justice. So everyone will either get justice, not trusting in Jesus, not being saved, or they will get mercy trusting in Jesus and having eternal life with the heavenly father. But no one will get injustice. No one will get injustice. Jesus is saying, I came to open up the eyes of the blind, but if you still wanna remain blind, this is what's gonna happen. Verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are you also saying we're blind? I don't know what the Greek word for is, but I'm pretty sure that was their attitude. That's, that's what they said. And what they're really getting at is, hey, we, we got it all going on. Don't you know who we are? We, we know the Torah back, back and front. We, 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 we got the Ten Commandments. We go to synagogue every day. We got these really cool hats. Surely, surely, you can't think that we're blind. I mean, please. And I'm looking at this, I'm reading this going, are you sure you want Jesus to answer that question? Because <laughs> he's gonna answer that question in the very next verse, fellas. Verse 41, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt or sin but now that you say we see, your sin remains. And again, Jesus is like, if you were really blind, if you would really admit that you're blind, that you can't see, that you're spiritually blind, that your sin has blinded you, if you really admitted that, I could do something with that. But since you arrogantly and pridefully are telling me you can see, you remain under the judgment of sin. See, one way you're free from the penalty of sin, admitting you're blind, admitting that your sin is blinding you, you're free from the penalty of sin. The other way, you remain under the judgment of the penalty of sin because you have to admit you're blind for Jesus to open your eyes. You have to admit your blindness. If you don't see a need for the Savior, there's no way the Savior can meet your need. They had Jesus standing right in front of them, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of man that they knew inside and out that he was coming, the Messiah that had been prophesied, standing right in front of them, yet they're saying, surely, you don't think we're blind. 
One of the saddest sights um, that I had ever seen was at the Western Wall in Jerusalem. We had been there three times, and each time it was equally sad. Hundreds, if not thousands, of Jewish people standing there in their robes, praying, bobbing. Some had a leather box attached to their forehead with scripture in it, praying all day, all night, all blind, waiting for the Messiah. It's heartbreaking. But it's really important. It's not just them. This can happen in churches. It can happen in churches where people are going through the motions, different denominations, and missing Jesus. That's why it's so vital for us as believers, if you are a believer, that we don't look at the people who are arrogantly saying, surely you don't think we're blind, and look at them and saying, I can't believe you can't see. (laughs) We've got to be the most loving people on the planet. We've got to be the most caring people on the planet. We've got to be the most serving people on the planet because it's not just our job. It's not just our obligation. It's not just our responsibility to seek out the cast out like Jesus did to this man, like Jesus does to us, but it's our responsibility to bring light into the darkness as Jesus brought the, the, the light into our darkness so we could be in his marvelous light. Does that make sense? Yes, amen. I was blind for 45 years. I don't know how long you all were blind, but at some point you were. At some point, Jesus transformed your life, whether it was at a young age or much later. <laughs> I wasn't just blind. I was hostile blind. I, was, I had a belief system based on Nothing, and I was proud of it. I was so arrogant in my blindness because I didn't, I didn't even see Jesus as useful. Most people at least see Jesus as useful. The, the religious leaders here, they didn't even see Jesus as useful. They saw him as blasphemy. They didn't see him. They, they didn't even want him around for the miracles. I was... I was a hater of Christ. I was not a, a prizer of Christ. I was in the category of the Pharisees, hostile towards him. But all I know is this I was blind, and now I see. In an instant. That's how Jesus does it. In middle school, and I've mentioned this before, I went to an Episcopalian boarding school. (laughs) Very strange. (laughs) Had to go to chapel three days a week. Uh, I was in the choir, which may surprise those who sit near me uh, (laughs) during the singing portion of our gatherings. Um, And I apologize for that. (laughs) Uh, But truth be told, I was the only 13-year-old that sounded like this. actually came out of the womb sounding like this. Wah. Wah. Very startling for the doctors, I'm sure. 
You know what my favorite song was, though, growing up? Amazing Grace. Nice little Jewish boy singing Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I loved that song. But it was a lie in my life. I wasn't found. I was lost. I couldn't see. I was blind. I didn't, I didn't even have the respect of Jesus as sir, small s, let alone the reverence of Lord, capital L. My fear is that somebody here today or in Jasper or gathered online may sing Amazing Grace, may sing that song, and it would be a lie because you'd be singing all the while thinking, surely you don't think I'm blind. So I wanna give you an opportunity. I wanna give you an opportunity to know him. And for those who do know him, do you know him today, but not on Wednesday at the office? Do we know him today on Sunday in church, but not at our kids' Little League game on on Tuesday? Because if we just know him here and it doesn't overflow into our lives, why would someone else want him? Remember, Jesus is always after something bigger. We started out the message, Jesus will perform a physical miracle to get to an inward transformation. Jesus is after your inward transformation. You're the bigger thing he's after. Jasper, you're the bigger thing he's after. He did this for this blind man to get to the point where he could stand right in front of him so the blind man could say, I believe and I wanna worship you. And that's what Jesus is doing right now. He's standing right in front of us saying, will you believe? Will you trust in the son of man? Will you believe that I am the Messiah that has been prophesied? And here's the truth. There are some who simply just don't believe Jesus is God. There's also some who just see him as useful. And both, both have a pathway to destruction. So I wanna give those who maybe be, maybe in one of those categories an opportunity to trust in Jesus and say, I believe. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, we love your word. We love that we got to celebrate the blind man's 
physical healing, and then we got to rejoice with the angels at his spiritual healing. And we come to you in the reverence of capital L, Lord. So Father, uh, we're asking for you to move mightily right now in the hearts of anyone who maybe didn't think that you were God, who didn't think Jesus was God, who maybe only saw Jesus as useful, but not Lord. We're asking for you to move in their hearts. So if that was you, if you're the bigger thing that Jesus is after, your spiritual transformation, this is your moment. You can pray with me silently. You can just repeat my words. Father, I recognize today I'm blind. I was walking around saying, surely you don't think I'm blind, but actually I am. I want to see. I want you not just for what you can do, but I want you for who you are. I want Jesus. I see that Jesus died for my sins. I see that Jesus paid the penalty for my sins. I see that you raised Jesus from the dead, declaring victory so that I could have a life eternal with you. Will you open my eyes? Will you save me? I want to follow you. I want to follow you and worship you. If that was you, keep your eyes closed. Just as the angels rejoiced, we want to rejoice. We want to rejoice with you as, as we did last Tuesday. We saw somebody get saved, not in this building. And it was incredible. Will you raise your hand if that was you? You just prayed that prayer for the first time. Raise your hand as high as you can get it. So we know that you just had your eyes opened. Thank you. Our prayer team has a Bible. They want to give you God's word so you can begin immediately in worship. And if you've already trusted in Jesus, you've seen his works, you're following him, together we get to do this extraordinary thing. We get to worship him. We get to prize him. We get to esteem him. We get to speak his name. His name will be on our lips wherever we go outside of this building outside of wherever you're sitting at home. And we get to do that together. Imagine the force of thousands of people overtaking Cherokee County with the love of Christ. Imagine, imagine taking over Pickens County with the love of Jesus where it just overflows so people look at us and go, man, I want some of that. We want to be like the blind man who had his physical miracle, 
And then when Jesus was standing right in front of him, he said, I believe, and he worshiped. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that we get to gather. We love you. And we are so convicted. I'm convicted of esteeming you greatly, of having your name on my lips, of prizing you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.